Toxins, carnage, and catastrophes. Welcome to Marvel vs. Marvel Live in Wolverhampton! Our second ever live podcast here at the Arena Theatre in Wolverhampton. I better do my regular spiel. Um, hello and welcome to Marvel vs. Marvel. It's a podcast where a comedian who has never read a Marvel comic book before in his life watches a Marvel movie or TV show, and then quizzes a second comedian. This one is a Marvel expert. This one was taught to read with Marvel Comics. Hello and welcome to the live show, which is about the very first What If episode, um, which is called something. What's it called, Will? What If Captain Carter No, Peggy... What is it? (laughs) What If... Captain Carter was the first Avenger. Hey, thank you very much, Will Preston. And that's a great way of introducing Will, uh, the very ignorant boy. As you can see by his T-shirt, he's powered by ignorance. Powered. Um, Powered. (laughs) On the Marvel journey, and it's his Marvel journey, the yin and the yang of the Marvel experience. Um, Will, say hello, Will. Oh, hello. Hello. Are we excited to be here tonight, Will? Yes. Not tonight. What is it? tonight. I can see. The sun's up. Afternoon, that's the one. Afternoon The afternoon is is here. The word... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's very strange for us to go. We uh, we have been doing this for three years now, um, staring at uh, laptop screens and Zoom cameras, uh, and now we do it in person, um, and our energy is different. And also, we can't look at each other. No. It's very strange to be I talking think... about Will, but yeah. I can't look away because the microphone is directly at my face, and if I look away from him, no one at home can hear us. <laughs> um, but it's good. It means I can be meaner about Will. Without looking directly into his eyes, and you will see throughout the uh, the podcast, the live audience, um, if you've not heard the show before, um, there's a little bit of bullying that goes on, um, and it's one way. It's all me to him, and is it ideal? No, but that's what happens, uh, uh, and and Will's beloved by the audience for it. But yeah, you should probably uh, report me. Um, <laughs> we're going to cancel you, Rob. Coming up, um, we're going to take you behind the scenes on the very first episode of the Marvel What If series. How the MCU keeps reviving Peggy Carter and why she was the perfect choice to headline this new show. We'll take you behind the page on how and why Marvel created the What If comics, the history of the Marvel multiverse, the secrets of Captain Carter, British superheroes, the Marvel multiverse... And exactly what happens when the Red Skull gets too powerful. It's going to be a big one here in Wolverhampton. Um, and uh, we're very excited to be doing this. We did it a year ago in Leicester. Yes. A year ago and in Leicester. I'm, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit happier about the setup here in Wolverhampton. What I about feel, you? I feel it's a really lovely relaxed. room. I feel really, I, I mean, from what I can see, everyone else looks really relaxed too. I mean, it's a little too relaxed. There's someone asleep at the back there. Um, <laughs> we'll, try and, we'll try and keep you all awake throughout the, um, throughout the show. Yeah. Um, a big shout out to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Um, all our supporters on Patreon make this possible. Um, keep us going. Um, specific shout outs to somewhere in the building tonight Peter J., Brandon Schmigilski, Randall Schmidt, Zach Thomas, Bastabier, Sam, Bindi, Soupy. Jack Thomas and Billy Brown. Um, those are our top, top, top supporters on Patreon. And we want to give those a big shout out wherever, whenever possible. Keep the lights on and let us do very cool things like this. Um, like this. How much is your petrol to get here? Someone's got to pay for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll uh, drive it. So the second show that I've put together for is, and it's in the Midlands, which is on my doorstep, very <laughs> far away from where you live. Well, I live in the centre of gentrification, so not <laughs> the happening. centrification, uh, if you will. Yeah, um, it's not happening near me. <laughs> and I've been, I'm, I'm there's pressure from people that have driven um, very, very far distances from the south to here. So the, the third show we do is going to have to be somewhere in the south. So I'm going to take that on board um, as we as we move into the the fourth year of Marvel versus Marvel. Um, now, folks, the first thing we do on this show 
is we like to take a dip into, we call it the mind of a muggle. <laughs> it's to tap into the very ignorant boy here sat next to me um, who's never read a Marvel comic in his life. Clammy. And we... <laughs> <laughs> and I we shaved d- yesterday. It's very smooth. <laughs> He's talking about his head to the listeners at home. Um, <laughs> no, because they can't see. They don't know. Um, yeah. And we, uh, we dive into the mind of a muggle um, to find out what someone who's never read a Marvel comic before, the, f- the, the ideas they would have formed about a project like this What If series, um, unlike Peggy Carter. So, so Will, um, you're our muggle. Um, how did you feel when the What If series was, was, was announced? I think we talked about it a little bit on the show. Um, yeah, I, 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 was, I was quite excited for it because I like alternate history and alternate uh, stuff. And I knew with the whole multiverse thing with Marvel going on, I was like, ooh, we're going to see some mad stuff. Some mad stuff. Mad stuff. And, and, you were, and you were like, whoa, slow down. What they'll probably do is they'll probably animate the whole thing. That's not what I said. I did not know it was animated. I, I remember thinking, there's no, how can they possibly do this, <laughs> this series? Because I know from the What If comics, you take the major moments in Marvel and kind of spin out and do a whole other take on it. And I just couldn't, I had no idea it would be animated, so I couldn't work out how on earth they do it with a... A live cast, it would be very, 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 very expensive. Oh, I was up for anything. I mean, I, I, I heard it was going to be animated, and I just thought, look, I, I, it's going to be fun. It's just going to be a little bit of fun, a little bit of a tangent. You know, nothing that's going to affect the MCU, maybe. Who knows? And I just thought, great, we're going to see some mad stuff. And parallel universes is something you, that you, you said already tickles your sci-fi fancy. Because yeah. they're quite prevalent, aren't they, in sci-fi stuff? Yeah, I, I've, I've probably mentioned it before, but uh, one of my favourite TV shows at the moment, I, I, I will insist, if you can watch it, uh, is on Apple, Apple TV. It's called uh, For All Mankind, and it's about what happened if the Russians landed on the moon first. And then it follows the decades after about how the moon, uh, how the uh, space programme uh, changes in America and how they're more forced into it, and it, it shows... Uh, society improving but not only that has some of the greatest soap opera storylines I've ever seen Ooh. in a TV show like that but the alternate history stuff is fantastic and that's uh, one thing I love Man in the High Castle not so much yeah yeah the there was, there's a lot the of, there's a lot of things like Man in the High Castle and um, who yeah. remembers Sliders no okay <laughs> Quantum Leap but different different um, yeah starring the yeah. Uh, the fat one from uh, Stand By Me um, <laughs> No, that's suppose who's in it. And also, uh, Indiana Jones's mate. Uh, yeah, both in it. Um, and what about, because this first episode is, is, is Peggy Carter. Yeah. That's the driving force of it. And she was like, her in that kind of Captain America outfit with the shield is, is pushed as like the, the, the forefront of the promotion mm. for the What If what if series. Were you interested, excited about seeing Peggy Carter return? Yes, she is just fantastic. I mean, Hayley Atwell is a great actor. And... God, the, the image of just seeing alternate Captain America and it's just, it's just Captain... Brit- well, not Captain Britain, obviously, but it's a, a, a British Captain America and a woman. It's like, okay, you've got me on board. It's kind of... The, it, as a visual image, it's the perfect way of selling the What If series, isn't it? Yeah. It's the perfect way, because there's lots of other stuff that goes on in this series that I don't know if there's a visual that would, that would show everybody how different this is going to be and what this possibly means. Whereas, like you say, you show a Captain America that is a British woman and suddenly if you don't know what's going on in that story, but you've got a lot of questions and it's like, yeah, it's the greatest kind of like um, visual representation um, 
of uh, of what we get, and and the fact that it's more World War Two was that you know more Marvel World War Two, which we haven't seen since First Avenger, nope. was that appealing? Yes, very appealing. Um, I'm a big fan of the Wolfenstein games, which deals with <laughs> World War Two and the occult and science fiction stuff, and I was like, great, we're going to see more of that. That's, uh, that's what I, that's what I want. For the people in the audience who have never uh, heard the go. show before, Will really likes video games. And they come up more than you'd think. You might think there's no possible way he can cram a video game reference into a sentence in a conversation. You'd be wrong, folks. And um, the Simpsons. And, and the Simpsons, Simpsons of course, Simpsons. as well. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. And then without having our little... I see I'm just as ever I am thrown by not having a laptop in front of me and us being able to go, okay, that's the end of that segment. We'll play a little bit of music and move on to the next. We haven't got that. No. And last year in Leicester, we had Dan Dan the Banjo Man, who played our wonderful theme, he was with us in person, and he got to play the music. Uh, he's selfishly had a child, um, <laughs> so can't be here uh, for the performance this year. What a shame. Yeah. Um, so um, instead, Will is going to do an impression of a banjo. Great. Um, we now uh, head the, head, hand the show over uh, to the man that goes diving through the rubbish bins, the trash cans, the dumpsters of Hollywood to dig up the dirt. Mr. Hollywood! We've asked him to stop doing that, <laughs> and it keeps happening every show. Um, <laughs> Mr. Hollywood, um, who is going to take us behind the scenes um, on the making of this What If series and this What If episode, Will, not Will Preston, sorry, Mr. Hollywood, what can you tell us um, about uh, Captain Carter and the first of the... Um, of the What If series. Well, I'll start off by telling you about the What If series. Uh, originally inspired by the Twilight Zone, it's an anthology. Uh, what, we need to immediately stop you there. <laughs> what, what, do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean the What If series that is based on a series of comic books called What If about alternate realities? What do you mean it's based on the Twilight Zone? Well, it's originally inspired, isn't it? Inspired by a Twilight Zone. The TV series? I, yeah. But it's based on a comic book series. Okay. <laughs> Maybe the comic book series is inspired by the TV you series. You can carry on, but I'm judging this fact. I, he, I, I'm not sure about this He does this one. every single time, and I still get my way. It's an anthology, says executive producer Brand Vinderbaum. The, the, I did this <laughs> last time. He's not German! I keep pronouncing his name as German. Sorry, Winderbaum. <laughs> I keep going, Vinderbaum! Do it with an American accent. Winderbaum. Brad Winderbaum. That's Baum. it. Uh, Brad, Brad Winderbaum. <laughs> The Watcher introduces us each week to these alternate storylines, each a kind of cautionary tale in the spirit of the Twilight Zone. We bounce around genres and tone. Some episodes will be dramatic, some will be tragic or comic. It's a great... uh, Having an anthology series, uh, you know, and it was always going to be because it was based on a comic book series, Mm. um, it it is a great way to do slightly different approaches. You're not tied into... Um, all you know, you, you're not you're not saying we're doing a wholly comedic series. We yep. can do one funny episode, one fun episode. We can do one. You know, you don't want every single episode to end with the world ending and everyone dying. <laughs> but you can do it. You know, in one or two of them, can't you? Yeah, yeah. It gives, it gives you freedom to do the ridiculous. I think that's yeah. what I like about this kind of stuff. Uh, Kevin Feige said it is incredibly liberating. It is an amazing opportunity we have. Disney Plus has sent a wave of creativity through Marvel Studios in a really great way. That show, as I said, is going to focus on events you think you know everything about from the MCU, and when you change one thing here or there, how everything is different. So you will see primarily characters you've met before, but again, in entirely different ways. I remember there being some sort of like cynicism about 
whether this is um, kind of re like you know think of a big company with an intellectual property mm. they're really milking that intellectual property aren't they <laughs> like oh we did a movie about this what if we went back and did a whole other whole other bit of you know content about that exact same story in a slight I remember there's some kind of cynicism about the way it would use um, and bring in you know different actors to play you know the uh, the famous roles when they can't afford Chris Hemsworth um <laughs> But I think it worked out, really, didn't it? Oh, it did. I mean, in this one, you have someone playing uh, Hugo Weaving's, you know, obviously the Red Skull. Yeah. But they do a really good Hugo Weaving, and I'm just there going, yeah, that's fair. That's enough. That's, that's good enough for me. And Hugo's probably busy not oh, being in the Matrix movies. <laughs> that's fair. So we had a few uh, titles from season one, to give you examples. Uh, what if the world lost its mightiest heroes? What if Ultron won? What if Zombies? Just what if? Just what, what if zombies? That that sounds like the marketing department of every video game I've ever played. Just just, just put zombies in next time. Maybe, maybe we could make them Nazi zombies. You know, that'd be a bit fun. God, yeah, they do love Nazis and zombies, don't they? Yeah. yeah. Nazis, zombies and bears. Oh, my. Uh, during development of the series, Bradley and the writers realised that Captain Carter stood out from the other characters in the series and decided to continue her story after this episode by revisiting her in one last episode of each future season. Oh, so so in season two, Peggy Carter is uh, Captain Carter is going to be in. Hello, Will. Yes, hello, there, hello. I was waiting for you to finish the sentence. <laughs> I think I had, hadn't I? You, you know, know, you sort my, of drifted I'm pretty off. sure I, I'd finished my sentence. You sounded like me. In series two, Captain Carter is going to be there, isn't she? Yes, Will, she's confirmed to be there. I'm glad we did this. All fans of very tall, muscly women are very happy. Okay. That was me. Good. Okay. <laughs> we, don't, we don't workshop every sentence, folks. Uh, <laughs> some slip through. That's um. okay. Talking about the importance of Captain Carter, uh, executive producer Brad Winderbaum. <laughs> Brad <said>, Winderbaum. <laughs> no, that's what I'm allowed to do. Uh, we realized, I think, early on in development, as we were starting to get the scripts and starting to look at the arc of the series, that there were going to be more. There was, sorry, there were going to be a character that bubbled up and became more important. Not more important than the rest, but had a strong relationship with the Watcher, who is really our driving force behind the series, and that's Captain Carter. We realised as soon as developing the second season that Captain Carter was going to be the character we would revisit in every season and continue that adventure. Obviously, we're telling a story on a giant multiversal canvas, so you never really know who's going to pop up where and when. It's very much an anthology, but there's always opportunity for fun connections to be made. I, it, it does, you know, I'd hate to go back to the cynicism of exploiting and milking an intellectual property, but... Yeah, the idea that you can just make a much <laughs> like make a much cheaper kind of animated version of the movie, getting all these cheaper actors to play the roles. It must have been these producers must have been salivating at the thought <laughs> of returning to that thing and going, "Yeah, look, we can just do like five different endings to Endgame with a cheaper cast. We can charge." I mean, it just. Uh, I'm sure there was a lot of creative spark behind it as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, sure. yeah, 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 yeah. Writer A.C. Bradley originally planned a Captain America-based episode in which Steve Rogers fell from the Hydra train and became a brainwashed assassin instead of what happened to, instead of happening to Bucky Barnes as seen in the films. Rogers would have become Captain Hydra and take over the leadership of Hydra with the Red Skull joining forces with Carter, Barnes and Howard Stark to stop Rogers. Is that concept more interesting than this concept? 
I don't know. That sounds mad. It's, I mean, in terms of interesting, okay, I prefer this concept, but this concept is mad. Um, to me, it is. Yeah, I don't know. What if a character was a Nazi? I, I think I've seen an awful lot of that in alternate <laughs> history stuff. Um, what if Nazis? <laughs> what if Nazi zombies? <laughs> and, but it, and it might just simply be because the Peggy, as, 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 as we'll talk about, the Peggy Carter character is, seemed to really leap out of that first movie. People really connected with her. Um, the actor is great as well. Um, and also, they, you know, we get the real actor playing the role rather than yeah. a fake Chris Evans. Faux Evans. That doesn't work. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Additionally, Andrews pitched an idea for the series in which the original versions of Captain America and Peggy Carter fought alongside the Pacific's comics character, the Rocketeer, who appeared in the 1991 film of the same name, directed by Joe Johnston, the director of Captain America, the first Avenger. Now, that's an, ama- that's an amazing... Like, I, as a kid, the Rocketeer was an amazing movie that I grew up and saw. Um, and is it funny remember by you? Did you see The Rocketeer in the 90s? No, no, I've, I've been told it's really good. Yeah, I don't know how it would hold up now out of, out of, sort of, out of time. <laughs> yeah. um, but that kind of, it's, there's an almost, um, not quite steampunk, although steampunk has come to mean more than just Victorian stuff and weird people wearing monocles. Um, is it deco-punk? Because it's uh, 1940s, isn't it? Sure, let's That's what say it's that. Let's I'm say a- that. But yeah, this idea of kind of like high sci-fi in the 40s and the 30s yeah. and stuff um, has always been really kind of appealing. And there's an element of that to the Steve, to what happens with Steve Rogers um, going forward, as we'll talk about in the actual episode. Um, but that would have been, but that would have been a minefield for them to say, "Hey, Marvel, can you go and buy the rights to this character?" <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not sure how they would have done that. Is that character still going? I'm sure there are, yeah, I'm sure as a, as a property, it must, it'll crop up every, I don't know, five years or 10 years or so yeah, with a, yeah. a comic book special or something. But it's never, it's never been like, um, oh, we'll do a Rocketeer TV series. The movie, I don't think, was a, it was a bit of a flop. So That's a shame. That, that, that dampens things. But, you know, as the um, nostalgia kicks in, um, it does keep cropping up in that time again. Yeah, we'll see. The character of Peggy Carter had already found a strong connection with the audiences. After her appearance in the 2011 movie uh, Captain America, The First Avenger, Hayley Atwell returned to the role in a 2013 short film titled Agent Carter, which proved so popular it was spun into a TV series. Produced by Marvel Television, the ABC network aired two seasons of Agent Carter from 2014 to 2016. It's a really great, fun show. I really, really, really liked it. I think it's the best of that kind of ABC you know the, the the Marvel TV shows they did that weren't on Netflix and stuff and not on Disney. I think it's the best of that lot, mm. um, and it's a shame it didn't really continue. Although I felt it was slightly hindered by um, it didn't have it didn't have a budget really, so it didn't really have there weren't any kind of cool villains it could do. Um, so there was kind of there were a little bit playing in handcuffs. But it, did you ever see any of it? No, no, I really want to though. It's 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 on the docket for an episode of our podcast in the future, um, and it it settles in nicely, kind of. There's not a lot of other Marvel stuff going on, so they get to kind of expand on what might have happened after uh, the Second World War in the MCU. Quite interesting. Mm, Very good. Bradley was tasked with finding a single point in the first Avenger that could be changed to result in Peggy taking the serum instead of Rogers, and settled on the moment where Professor Erskine asks Peggy to wait in the viewing booth while Rogers undergoes the super soldier procedure. Instead, instead, in this episode, Peggy's decision to ignore Professor Erskine results in a separate timeline. 
that's the key, isn't it, of yeah. um, these what-if stories, finding that, that one moment where things could go in a different way. I love that. They always pin it down to one moment, and it's never like a series of moments, different factors or anything. <laughs> yeah, definitely in the What If comics, it yeah. was always stronger, especially in the the second volume, I guess, or the first volume, where those things happen. And then as time went on, I have to found that the they brought the What If concept back, and the writing got quite lazy. And it started to just be, they, we were no longer finding a single moment that could have gone differently. It was just, you know, what if a mad thing happened with Wolverine? Um, <laughs> Talking about the importance of the decision, Bradley said, we feel like they're marrying our stories. So when it came to our first episode, Peggy Carter, uh, sorry, it wasn't so much about how she got the super soldier serum, uh, super soldier serum but what story we wanted to tell. I wanted to tell a story about a woman who stays in the room. What happens when a woman stays in the room? Well, the world changes. What happens when Peggy Carter shows her worth? Well, you guys will see what happens on 11th of August, 2021. Right, it was a press release at the end there, didn't it? Yeah, I, I, that, that, <laughs> you that, kept that in. That was interesting. I, I, I kept yeah. the press release okay. bit in just to show <laughs> authenticity. <laughs> Will, have you all seen Anchorman, where it's apparent that Ron Burgundy will read whatever is in front of him? Yeah. Will Preston, man, cut from the same cloth. Happens it could, to me. It's, it's, it could it's, say it's, anything. It's a great old autopilot <laughs> in my head. I say great, it, it hinders me at every <laughs> turn. Bradley was a fan of Peggy before working on the series, including her appearance in the MCU one-shot short film and the Agent Carter television series. Bradley chose to include the one-shot character John Flynn in the episode. Flynn takes on the role filled by Tommy Lee Jones' character, uh, Chester Phillips, in The First Avenger, and serves as an antagonist due to his sexist nature, which contrasts with the respect that Phillips showed Carter in the film. Episode writer A.C. Bradley was also the head writer for the first series of What If, penning five of the nine episodes and serving as executive producer. Bradley had previously written for the DC comic superhero series Arrow, as well as Guillermo del Toro's Tales of Arcadia series on Netflix. Have you seen Tales of Arcadia? I have not. I've not seen that much of Guillermo del Toro's TV series. Uh, No, neither have I. I saw... uh, Have you seen Pinocchio? Nope. Oh, is it, it good? Pinocchio on Netflix. It's really dark. Um, and I, I, I don't know, I think it's for mature audiences. It's really good, though. It's really, you know how all fairy tales have this really dark, horrible yeah, origin? Yeah, it's kind yeah. of it's spun out of that. Um, did you see any of Arrow? No, no, never saw the DV, uh, DC uh, comics series. And everyone said they're really good. Did they? <laughs> Here we go. I'm just, I'm just asking, did they? Did they really? Arrow's, I don't know. Arrow is like the OC. Uh, it's like it's a teen show I mean the second series is pretty good Deathstroke the Terminator's in it and that one's good Ooh, but it's like all it. a bit I don't know um, if you if you like that guy being topless it's the show for you <laughs> if you're mildly intimidated by a guy with that kind of body I don't know uh, seek therapy um, The Flash is really good Supergirl yeah. is really good Legends of Tomorrow is wonderful from the second series onwards when they stop trying to be a superhero show and just be absolutely wacky and do Bollywood episodes and musicals and it's brill, yeah. That sounds good. Uh, the only, I don't know if I'll get around to seeing Pinocchio at some point. Guillermo del Toro is one. Cause I, uh, you don't know if you're going to get around to it. <sighs> he can be depressing. you got a lot on, have you? He, he, no, he got, got too much Yeah, if you, if you like Pan's Labyrinth, you'll like it. Oh, Pan's Labyrinth was great, but I felt so depressed at the end. It, was it at a term period in your life when you were actually depressed, Will? Because we've discovered this. There are sometimes you watch a movie and you don't like it, and then the next day you'll say, I think I was just in a really bad mood. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, I was in university, so it probably was uh, yeah, my depression. Talking about AC Bradley's involvement, Brad Winderbaum said, <laughs> "Brad, I'm still doing it. Bradley had come in to pitch for Captain Marvel movies, which didn't work out due to some other obligations, and producer Jonathan Schwartz recommended her for the What If series. We brought her in, and she understood what he wanted to do immediately. She came back and pitched this emotional character-focused version of the Captain Carter story. Actor Hayley Atwell gave an interview about Peggy Carter in 2019 where she said, I love playing her because she has a strong sense of self and she's unshakable in her moral compass and her own integrity. That's something I think Peggy shares with Steve Rogers even before he becomes Captain America. That moral compass is the thing that really connects them. I love Peggy's ability to focus on her strengths rather than her weaknesses and not to be intimidated by the challenges that are presented to her. Speaking about the episode of the What If series, Atwell said, It's a beautiful aesthetic. They've matched a lot of my vocal performance to the animation, so you see a lot of my character's emotional reactions in the animation. It doesn't feel too unrealistic or too cartoony. It's a beautiful tone that they found. I think it speaks quite... I mean, I certainly think that there's a lot of emotional heart in this episode, um, and that they, they don't... Like they don't, you've got a much shorter amount of time that you're producing this story in, and I think it would be quite easy to get lost and to just do all the mad, cool, high concept sci-fi stuff, mm. and then suddenly your half hour is gone, and that's the end. But they do actually work hard, or however long the episode is, they do they do work hard to make sure it's got that emotional core going on. Mm. Um, and I think uh, Haley Atwell being the the center of that really really works because. Um, it's, it is just, I mean, the, the story is the story. The story works perfectly with Captain America, the bittersweetness of never getting to see her again. Um, but it's a shame that you kind of, we don't get more Hayley Atwell in the MCU because she was a great part of it. I absolutely loved her in the MCU. Yeah. She comes back with a, uh, an old lady mask on in, was it Civil War? No, Winter Soldier? It was one it, of them. It was Civil War, I think, because that's what he d- made him decide to rebel against it because she's like, you, you know, you've still got to be good and fight your what you believe in. Oh, there's another one. She, anyway. Anyway, she had an old lady face She had on. an old lady face Old lady on. face. Um, well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Hollywood. Uh, taking us behind the scenes there on the uh, production of What If um, and behind the scenes on this particular episode, um, Hayley Atwell's return to the MCU after the Agent Carter series. Um, let's take a little trip behind the page now um, to see how parallel universes work in in Marvel, in Marvel Comics, and kind of where they come from and, 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 and how, we, how we got a What If comic book series that gave us this TV show. Um, we perhaps do need to first define what a, um, a parallel world means and consists of in, in the Marvel Universe. Because there's, it's quite nebulous, it's quite like ethereal, there's not like a hard and fast rule of it, but if we look at things like uh, Thor going to Asgard, um, and uh, muscle thyme and that kind of stuff. If we look at Ghost Rider going down to hell and back to earth, those are like different realms. You might even want to call them different dimensions, but they're not alternate universes. When we go from the Marvel, the main Marvel universe, which we call the 616 universe, to another parallel universe, the 617 universe, for example, that place will also have its own version of Asgard. Um, its own version of hell, um, its own version of wherever Doctor Strange goes to to fight Dormammu in the Dark Dimension, all that kind of stuff. So, it, 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 
they are I, I, I'd like to see it as the Marvel Universe all these universes have like dimensional layers and levels to them and they're repeated in every un- parallel universe you'll go to across the across the multiverse I was thinking about that the other day when you explained it to me and all I could picture was just sandwich <laughs> like with different <laughs> these are the dimensions yes. and the different fillings in the sandwich it's but the, there are many sandwiches it's the multi multi sandwich <laughs> it's the multiversal sandwich um, <laughs> it's got the tomato it's got yeah. the chicken in, it's all in there um of course uh, parallel universes and parallel uh, timelines are not a marvel invention or creation um they're quite a prevalent concept in, in in science fiction um one of the one of the very first science fiction examples of this appears in a, in a book well it's not a book it's a short story called sideways in time by murray leinster and it was first published in 1934 in a science fiction magazine called astounding stories um and that's a short story about uh, a bunch of different parallel worlds kind of colliding and and um overlapping so on, on in this world the different parts of the earth kind of get replaced by a world where the American South won the Civil War or where um, Russia is the the superpower or the Nazis won the Second World War and things like that. Um, so that's that's like one of the first very famous examples. Um, and it's quite a, for the very first example, well, one of the very, very first examples of parallel universes in science fiction, it throws like a hundred of them at the wall at the same time and they're all overlapping. It isn't just a guy going to another world and then coming back or anything it's pretty it's pretty full-on um and sideways in time had this kind of enormous influence on 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 science fiction um maybe the most famous and respected science fiction author of all time isaac asimov said of this short story it always made me conscious of the ifs in history and this showed up not only in my science fiction but in my serious books on history as well that's really telling. That's Isaac Asimov when he's talking about parallel universes, talking about the ifs in history. And that's the distillation of what, what if as a series is, as a comic book and as this TV series. Finding that point in history and simply thinking what if, what could have happened. Uh, and once this idea was introduced in science fiction, like the audiences and the writers and the creators latched onto it and wouldn't let go. Um, and it would repeat itself again and again. Um, speaking of the Twilight Zone, which Will claims inspired this TV series, um, Mr. Hollywood claims. Okay, uh, 1963 saw one of perhaps the most famous examples of this kind of parallel universe um, being depicted um, in an episode of the Twilight Zone called The Parallel, where an astronaut is kind of orbiting the Earth or doing an experiment, and then he comes back to Earth, and his world is slightly different. the The picket fence around his house wasn't there when he left he his wife is slightly like all these little differences that just unnerve him in that very great if you've ever seen the twilight zone the old original twilight zone it's really good they can do things where they are they are just so unnerving in a pedestrian domestic kind of way um like what if you woke up and suddenly your child looked a little bit different than when you went to sleep or (laughs) your wife's hair has changed and she doesn't know what you're talking about and all that kind of stuff um 
And a very famous episode of Star Trek, 1967, um, Mirror Mirror, um, which is an episode where um, there's a transporter malfunction and Captain Kirk goes to a um, an Enterprise in a different universe where everyone is evil. <laughs> like, there's not really like a point, oh, a point in history where things slightly change. No, it's just in this world, everyone is evil. I've seen that um, episode. It's fantastic. It's a really, really fun episode, yeah. Um, and that's a very, very... F- and and they, that, they end up calling that parallel universe the mirror universe um, after the back kind of like mirror mirror being the name of the series um, and when we're talking about parallel worlds in comic books we really need to touch on dc comics because they were the first to do it um so dc comics have been publishing um its own superheroes since the, the 1930s characters called the flash and green lantern things like that uh, but by the 60s they ditched a lot of those older characters and and rebooted them often using the same name. So the 40s characters like Green Lantern and The Flash were replaced by modern 1960s characters, also called The Green Lantern and The Flash, who had slightly different powers, completely different names, completely different costumes um, and backstories. And DC did this with no real explanation. There was not like no mention of what happened to the previous guy called the flash no mention of what happened to all of his friends and relatives and is he still around and why is the new guy coming along called green lantern what happened to the other guy with completely different hair and a cape and stuff um and it wasn't until 1960s 1961 um writer gardner fox and artist carmine infantino um created a story called the flash of two worlds which is where the modern 1960s version of The Flash, Barry Allen, crosses over and lands on another world where he meets the original Flash, a guy called Jay Garrick from the 1930s. And this was the very first example of um, the beginning of a multiverse. DC Comics used this to establish that, okay, we ditched all these characters from the 30s and we never told you what happened to them. My bad. They all live on this other planet called Earth 2. Um, and that's where all those characters carry on having their lives and their adventures. And all the characters you're currently reading about in the 60s, that takes place on something called Earth 1. And this is the beginning of the the, the very first multiverse in, in, in comic books, and certainly in superhero comic books. Um, it'd be another seven years until uh, Marvel introduced its first parallel world. Um, 1968 in an Avengers annual, Kang the Conqueror, who has just kind of made big strides in television um, movies over here. Mm. Uh, When I say over here, I mean (laughs) the year 2023. Um, Kang the Conqueror travels back in time to a fixed point in the Avengers history and and alters something, changes the past a little bit. Um, One of the big things he does is use his slave ray, which (laughs) (laughs) he only uses twice. It can make anyone his slave. Why doesn't he use it all the time? It's never addressed. But (laughs) Kang uses it to go back in time and enslave the Avengers at a very early point in their history. And when he does that, it creates a a split-off timeline, a separate um, parallel universe where the Avengers are all evil and they all work for Kang and he picks he pits his evil avengers against the uh, the regular universe 616 marvel um marvel avengers um and that's kind of the first time that, that happens that universe it's not like it becomes a regular in in dc comics they establish earth 1 and earth 2 and they have lots of crossovers lots of different adventures the heroes all meet, meet up and stuff it doesn't really play that way in, in, in Marvel comics. They introduce a parallel universe, and that's kind of the end of that story. Maybe it comes back once in the future, but they're kind of done with it. Um, and then in 1977, 
we get the beginning, we get the start of these what-if comic books. Um, the very first issue, where each issue would center around a parallel Marvel universe where things were strangely different because at one point in history, someone went left instead of right. Um, it was created by this guy called Roy Thomas, who was kind of like Stan Lee's second-hand, right-hand man and kind of his replacement on a lot of comic books. He replaced Stan right in the Avengers and the X-Men and things like that. Um, and he came up with this idea. Um, and he was interviewed by a chap called Zach Rabaroff. Um, and he said, I don't recall when I first encountered the idea of parallel worlds. But I do recall that even before I was struck by the Earth 2 concept from DC Comics, I had read such books as Not This August, um, a sci-fi novel in which China and Russia had conquered the United States and a guerrilla band of Americans was all that resisted them. Sidebar, interestingly, Roy Thomas takes that idea and turns it into The Guardians of the Galaxy. But we don't have time to talk about that today. We have a whole episode on the Guardians of the Galaxy. You have to go and listen to that. Um, he goes on to say, By 1961 or so, I was already reading about such Nazi won World War II novels, The Sound of His Horn and The Man in the High Castle, which absolutely fascinated me. Um, having fairly recently left the editor-in-chief job at Marvel Comics, I wanted to find a way to sell saleable comics without having to coordinate with other writers or editors or to handle the mainstream continuity of major characters. To do the latter would have been better for my career, perhaps. But after my experience as editor-in-chief, I was burned out, and I preferred to work on my own corner of the Marvel Universe, where there wouldn't be, or couldn't be, that much pressure on me to coordinate. Roy Thomas is talking about if you write Spider-Man comics, you've really got to be plugged into what's happening in the Avengers and the Fantastic Four and the X-Men, and you've got to make sure if you have Magneto turn up, am I allowed to do that? Is Magneto only got one eye now? What's going on with Magneto? So by doing a what-if comic in a parallel universe no one else is writing about, he can kind of just do what he wants and no one interferes. Um, and we have the introduction in the what-if comics of Uatu the Watcher. Is he behind me right now, Will? He is. Hey, there hey. he is, that chap there. Yuatu the Watcher. Now, Yuatu had already turned up in a, in a bunch of Fantastic Four comics um, where he's introduced as a member of this alien race that will observe the events of the universe and but never interfere. And every time he says that, he immediately interferes. <laughs> and he's like, I must never interfere. Here's a gun that can kill Galactus. But I'm sworn by my oath, shoot Galactus in the face. Um, he's a real fun character. Um, and uh, Roy Thomas talk said, I, I felt a recurring character um, as the Rod Serling of this particular version of the Twilight Zone could be a good idea. And I think it was. The Watcher was a natural because his whole mission was to watch. So he was guiding the reader through this maze of alternate worlds, which I thought would make it more easily intelligible to the young reader. Stan himself had never liked the idea of the alternate world concept much, but I could get him to go for it in this context. Stanley really did not like the idea of alternate universes. We'll get to that very shortly. Um, the very first What If story um, that was published in uh, 1977 was called What If Spider-Man Joined the Fantastic Four? Um, the, the number one way of answering that question is it's no longer the Fantastic Four, it's the Fantastic Five. Um, but this story goes back to the very first um, issue of Spider-Man where Spider-Man is absolutely broke, needs money, and he goes to the Fantastic Four, who were the most famous superheroes at the time, breaks in and says, 
give me a job. Um, <laughs> and they, they kind of point out, uh, no, you're a lunatic in the mask. We don't know you. Um, and they kind of, they don't really have any money and they don't really work like that. So in this, in this kind of what if story, they say that's a really famous moment. It's the very first issue of Spider-Man. What if it went differently? And he did up, end up working for the Fantastic Four. And so the, the Fantastic Four become the Fantastic Five. Um, Sue Storm, the invisible woman, feels left out and neglected, and uh, she ends up uh, getting together with Namor and becomes Queen of Atlantis. Doesn't make any sense, does it? No, I mean, it doesn't have to. That's quite an upgrade. <laughs> you, beca- you become royalty, and he's, he's yeah. quite hot, Namor. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Um, it's a running theme in uh, the Fantastic Four comics that Namor wants to either destroy the surface world or steal Reed Richards' girlfriend. Um, he has two main objectives in life, um, and there's always this kind of ongoing, uh, does she fancy him or not? Um, the very first series of What If Comics ran for 47 issues, um, but the series hit its peak um, with the second volume, which began in 1989 um, and ran for like a decade, 114 issues. That was like the What If Comics I grew up reading. They were all a lot darker and edgier. They had a bit more implied violence in them. They always resulted in major characters dying, the world ending. They were really... They were written almost. I think they were written for a lot more fan service than the first volume were. They they had things like, what if Venom possessed the Punisher instead of Eddie Brock, and what if the Kingpin just had enough and murdered? No, sorry, what if Daredevil just finally had enough and murdered the Kingpin? Very very cool stories, um, nastier deaths and things like that. And you could do you, you the kind of that second volume showed that you can just do whatever you want with these comics because they don't have any knock-on effect. So you can get as wild as you want. You can have characters become, you know, heroes become evil, become murderers. You can have invasions happen from out of space. You can have the world be destroyed by Galactus. And you can do as big and as bold as a story as you want because you don't have to deal with any of the consequences. Um, and it led to very high body counts. That's what What If became famous for, very, very high body counts. Um so Stan Lee, as we talked about, he went for this idea, but he wasn't really into alternate realities. And I think some of this becomes kind of interesting as we think about what DC movies are doing uh, or what they've just kind of maybe finished doing, which is just multiple different versions of characters. That do they, Is Batman in the, is the Justice League in the same world as the Joker? <laughs> is the Joker in the same world as the Suicide Squad? What's Ugh. going on with these kind of interactions when stanley when dc comics were doing earth one earth two and all that stan believed that that diluted the stories being told in the real main comic book universe the dc universe that's published every month if you if you present every different reality as being just as real as the real one that you publish every month then it does create this atmosphere of oh, well, nothing really matters because this is just one of a hundred different Supermen, right? Or Batman or whatever. Why should I feel a special connection to Batman or Superman when there's a hundred different... You keep telling me there's a hundred different versions of them. They're all super-powered and heroic and they all do cool things. Um, What if wasn't published to create a multiverse? It it, It wasn't... 
like DC, to create some grand design of different worlds where they're all kind of full of the similar kind of heroes. It was solely just in Stanley's mind to have some one-off fun in a Twilight Zone kind of way so that the readers know and, and appreciate that the Marvel Universe is the real universe, um, that the Spider-Man you read about month to month is the only real Spider-Man um, that can do what Spider-Man does. Um, and And that's why... It took a very, 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 very long time for the Marvel multiverse to become a big commercial thing that it kind of is becoming to this day uh, because Stanley kept slamming on the brakes and going, no, um, <laughs> and now he's dead. So <laughs> it just go fall into the DC direction. Um, so that's our story behind the scenes and behind the page. Um, and that is how we're going to close out the first half of this live show. We're going to head to a little break. When we come back, we're going to do our deep dive into the very first episode of What If and go right into the Marvel multiverse, Captain Britain, Captain Carter, the Red Skull getting far too powerful. It's all to come in part two. Welcome back to Marvel vs. Marvel, the live podcast in We did an able job in the first section of the show in giving you the context and the history behind parallel universes, the Marvel multiverse, um, Peggy Carter, the production of the What If series. We had Mr. Hollywood, whether we wanted him or not, he was <laughs> yelling his name at us. Um, and we now are about to hand the show over to Will Preston. It might make you nervous, but he's been doing this a lot. He's, you know, three years. He knows how to handle a show. Where we're going to deep dive the first episode. We're going to pull it apart and we're going to dive into the history and the trivia that kind of led to and inspired what you see uh, in this series. Before we do, we do want to give that big shout out. Uh, Peter J, Brandon Schmigilski, Randall Schmidt, Zach Thomas, Bastabier, Sam, Bindi, Supi, Jack Thomas, Billy Brown. Some of you are in the house. And everyone that supports us on Patreon, um, that's what allows us to uh, make very expensive car journeys from London to the Midlands. Um, <laughs> park in the middle of the day. Um, thanks to everyone that supports us. If you do want to find out more about the, uh, the podcast, um, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. We have really cool bonus shows, um, which never get aired anywhere else. And there we go. Will, it's time for you to take control of the show as only you can. Yes. And to lead us through, um, what's the episode called again? What if Captain Carter... No, sorry. <laughs> what is it? Uh, no, I, wait a minute, I've got to do this. What if Captain Carter were the first Avenger? There you go. There we go. I, I, I could have done it so easily. Anyway, let's start the story. <laughs> It is 1943, and the Third Reich marches across Europe in a blitzkrieg. In response to this devastating foe, the Allied armies work together to create a super soldier. In one reality, the Allies were successful in creating Captain America, a hero who helped end the war and bring peace. But this isn't that reality. 
In a top-secret laboratory in New York City, Agent Peggy Carter briefs the latest te- test subject, Steve Rogers, on the purpose of the super soldier experiment. When asked to leave the room for the safety booth, instead of going, like in, going along like in the other reality, Peggy chooses to stay in the main room. Right, I know we can't play it now, but, you know, because, ooh, licensing issues. But the theme tune to this show, if you, if you remember, is, actually, is, is really simple, but very dramatic. You can't leave us hanging, Will. You're going to have to sing us the theme song <laughs> to this show. This is awful. Uh, okay, it's, it starts off, it's like... And it's all strings come like... What else happens? And then suddenly, after that, it goes... Bomb! 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 And then the strings come back in. This is more dramatic. And you're there going, I don't feel like this is a safe show to watch. I feel like I'm going to be upset by this. This is an upsetting program. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be... Uh, oh, God. I mean, as I said before, yeah, I absolutely love... This alternate uh, reality history stuff. Again, please watch For All Mankind. But before we get too deep into parallel worlds, what can you tell us, Rob? What can you... I can touch him. What can you tell... I'd rather you didn't. (laughs) What can you tell us about Peggy Carter in the original comics? Well, there's not... Yeah, there's not much of her in the original comics. Um, she's one of those examples of a character that's kind of been uh, that gained benefited massively from from the MCU. And I'll be honest, an awful lot of those characters end up being women. Um, women, when they're created in, char- in in comic books, are created by old men decades ago. <laughs> Were they creating wonderful female characters? You'll be shocked to learn. No. Um, <laughs> And, you know, we, we saw it a lot. We, we did a big episode on Daredevil and talked about the Karen Page character in the, in the Netflix Disney Daredevil series is wonderful um, compared to, you know, the, the kind of not terribly well-written character that appears in the comic books. Um, and Peggy Carter, who, who sort of first appears in 19... So Captain America, as, as a character, first appears in, in the 1940s, 1941, um, and his adventures are published uh, during the Second World War, um, and Peggy Carter is not a part of those original stories. Um, she's not a part of Cap's supporting cast, like Bucky. Um, and then the character is kind of returned in the 1960s, Stanley, Jack Kirby, when they're writing the Avengers and creating the Avengers, decide that old character we used to have in the 40s, let's bring Captain America back. Um, and they, they, they did this thing of saying, all that time between the 40s and the 60s, Captain America was frozen in ice. That's a, a kind of a retcon flashback idea they created in the 60s to explain why he hadn't been around. Um, and in, in the 60s, there's a, a story all about one of Captain America's wartime love interests. Um, it's a, uh, a daring leader of a cell of the French resistance fighters. Um, we see a charging at gunfire. She's very, very badass. Uh, but she's completely unnamed. Uh, that's how sexist the comics were in the 60s. There was a whole issue introducing a very cool female character, but they never bothered to give her a name. Um, <laughs> Some of it is because she's meant to be a spy, so her real name is obscured and things like that. Uh, she and Cap have a love affair. Uh, and then she's caught in a bomb blast, gets amnesia, and is sent home with no memory of Captain America. It's a very Stanley soap opera romance kind of deal. Stanley loves amnesia. There's nothing Stanley loves more than getting two star-crossed lovers together 
into a passionate relationship. And then one of them gets amnesia. <laughs> uh, and it all has to end. And isn't it tragic? He loves that stuff. He loves amnesia more than he loves, what was it again? A that, transistors. He should have left it there. He loves amnesia more than he loves, what was it? Um, <laughs> oh, God. So um, that character is later retconned into having the name Peggy Carter. So in the 60s, Cap starts to work with a very badass S.H.I.E.L.D. agent um, called Agent 13. Um, and we learn that her name is Sharon Carter. And when, she, when Cap meets her family, he learns that her older sister, Peggy, was this uh, nameless French resistance um, spy that he worked with in the 1940s. Um, and uh, it is Sharon Carter that in the comic books is Captain America's major love interest. Um, uh, because, uh, so uh, we'll briefly touch upon a sliding timescale. Um, so Marvel Comics, they're not affixed to any point in time. Whatever, whenever you're reading a Marvel comic, it is happening now. And the superhero you're reading about has been around for, you know, maybe five or ten years. So that means that if you're reading the comics today, Captain America came out of the ice about five, maybe eight years ago. Whereas when I was reading them in the 1980s, he would have come out in the 1960s. So they have a sliding timescale to update the, the timeline. Um, and as Captain America kind of uh, doesn't age, uh, other characters that are tied to the Second World War do age. This is complicated. Anyway, <laughs> Peggy becomes uh, Sharon's aunt, not her sister. Um, but Peggy's a really minor character, Will. Yeah, she, she joins the Avengers support staff. She get old, she dies. Because of the success of the MCU movies and Agent Carter and stuff, they brought Peggy Carter back, um, mysteriously rejuvenated and back in full health and young again, because God forbid they have uh, uh, you know, an older female character in a comic book. Um, <laughs> that's the end of that. Oh, fantastic. As the experiment begins, Peggy notices a suspicious man a spy from the Nazi science division Hydra. Could we just have a read again of Suspicious Man? Because I loved how that one came out. I really enjoyed it. Peggy notices a suspicious... That's not what you said. You said, Peggy notices a suspicious man. It was wonderful. I like when you pull me up on how I say things. It's not pulling you up. I enjoy hearing it. I wanted to hear it again. Everything but pulling me by the ear and going, why are you saying it like that, young man? No, everything about your delivery of that line told me this man was suspicious. (laughs) He's a, oh, is this suspicious chap? Which part? The part where I said suspicious? I don't know. No, the part where you said, a suspicious man. <laughs> what, would I turn into Matt Berry for a second? Sure. Anyway, this suspicious man. Sometimes we cut this out when we edit the show. Well, we can't do that now, so you just have to hear it. Yeah, you have to suffer with the raw material. <laughs> uh, the suspicious man pulls out a detonator and triggers a bomb in the lab, causing death and confusion. Pulling out a Luger, the spy kills both Dr. Abraham Erskine and SSR leader Chester Phillips and shoots Rogers before Peggy kills Kruger. A court, uh, sorry, the spy's called Kruger. A court, <laughs> the, the, I, you can tell I wrote these notes because, uh, uh, yep, yeah, I'm not that They're good. Incomplete. They're incomplete. <laughs> Uh, According to inventor Howard Stark, there is limited time to complete the experiment and Steve Rogers is not fit to go in after being shot. Without a moment to lose, Agent Carter strips and gets into the chamber, taking the experimental super soldier serum. Stepping out of the chamber, Peggy Carter, with extra height and muscle mass, has become a super soldier. The experiment is a success. Ah... Beautiful, tall, muscular women. 2021 gave us 
Captain Carter and Lady Dimitrescu from Resident Evil 8. Good. Good. <laughs> it's, I, I mean, well, I, I, yeah. come on. She was all over the internet when that game I, was coming I, out. I have no idea what you're talking about. The, what, the vampire lady who's like nine foot tall with a big hat. With a big hat. Well, that wasn't the only big thing she had, but there are children why, in the audience. Why do the vampires need big hat? Okay, I take you with me. To tide from the sun. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm pleased. I, I haven't played a video game in 30 years. I'm pleased. Good. Maybe that's why you're not as happy as me. I'm much happier than you. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on with your notes. Okay, going back to going back to this. Uh, I love getting away from the muscular women you're obsessed with. They, they chase me. Uh, some of the... Um... <laughs> Focus. There are people in the room. I know. It's not it's just horrible. you and me at home. Uh, <laughs> uh, talking about the appearance of the show, uh, I really loved uh, the cell-shaded animation that we have here. It looks 3D, but it looks animated at the same time. Uh, it reminded me, though, some of the animation reminded me of the old Max Fleischer Superman cartoons, which were, which were done in the 40s. Did you get that vibe? Yeah, an ever so slight kind of rotoscoping, uh, yeah. which is how the, the Fleischer comic, uh, cartoons were done. Um, if you ever get a chance, the, the Max Fleischer um, 1940s uh, Superman cartoons are incredible. Um, they, they, you know, they don't, they're don't, they not quite perhaps as appealing as a modern cartoon is, mm. but they look wonderful. Um, they're really important in the, in the history of Superman. They're the first time Superman ever flew. Um, Superman couldn't fly until these cartoons came along and went, Leaping, that sounds silly. And they just had the character kind of fly and stuff. And they're, they're, really, um, they're really interesting. And they're at a time, they're created at a time before the supervillain exists. So you get a chance to see, like, what is, super, what is this most powerful man in the world? What does he do when there's no supervillains? He just punches robots and mad scientists and fights the odd slumlord. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Excellent. So in the comics, uh, is there a world like this where Steve Rogers doesn't get the super soldier serum and be, just becomes regular old person. The, the regular old person. The, the, most, um, the most prominent I can think of, it's mm. not a what-if comic, but it is a, a Marvel uh, alternate reality. 2006, there was a series called Bullet Points by uh, J. Michael Straczynski, who was the creator of Babylon 5 and mm. wrote a lot of other wonderful... Um, as soon as I said Babylon 5, I gravitated towards <laughs> you two guys up there. Because I'll be honest, if anyone in the world looks like they like Babylon 5, it's the pair of you. Um, Babylon 5 creator, <laughs> J. Michael Straczynski. Um, Stop picking on the audience. No, it's, I just think that's a genuine observation. Um, and in this, uh, in the regular kind of Marvel universe, we know that uh, Dr. Erskine is gunned down by a German spy right after creating Captain America, takes the secrets of the super soldier serum to the grave so there can only be one super soldier, and it is uh, Captain America. In bullet points, um, Erskine is gunned down before it happens. So we don't get a super soldier. We don't get a Peggy Carter. We get nothing. Steve Rogers... Um, holds Erskine in his hands in his arms until he dies and there's no super there's no super soldier um and we get a very different world another casualty along with um uh, professor Erskine is a young um private in the military police Benjamin Parker who is uncle Ben and he is gunned down by the same assassin um and so we get this very strange world where Peter Parker grows up without a moral figure guiding him no uncle Ben just aunt May um and he grows up to become a disaffected, troublemaking, school-skipping punk. Um, 
Will loves it whenever characters are described as being punks, uh, which happens to any character that doesn't go to school. Um, and uh, so Peter Parker decides to sneak out of a field trip, ends up on a deserted government base, goes joyriding, steals a Jeep, the Jeep breaks down, then he's caught up in a gamma bomb explosion, and Peter Parker becomes the Hulk. Um, he, uh, it, Aunt May recognizes the Hulk is Peter Parker, has a heart attack, and dies. Um, <laughs> And then, and then, blaming himself uh, for the gamma bomb and Peter Parker's condition, Bruce Banner begins to obsessively researching methods for curing young Peter Parker. During one of his experiments, he's bitten by a radioactive spider, and Bruce Banner becomes Spider-Man, but a big monstrous spider creature who gets killed. Um, so yes, bullet points. That, that's a world where Steve Rogers does not get to become Captain America. Very cheerful. A lot of these stories end with horrible things happening. (laughs) Back to this one. Despite the success of the experiment, SSR leader John Flynn denounces the experiment as a failure as he was promised a super soldier but ended up with a girl. Flynn further reprimands Peggy for her rash decision, saying that women aren't soldiers. Working out her frustration at the gym at a very impressive level, Peggy talks with Steve Rogers, who is rehabilitating after his gunshot wound. The two talk about their troubles and doubts and start to bond. Meanwhile, in Tonsberg, Norway, Johann Schmidt, otherwise known as the Red Skull, leads a team of Nazi soldiers to uncover the Tesseract, a powerful artifact that can manipulate space. Schmidt plans to use the Tesseract to win the war. Steve Rogers here uh, in the scene makes a cheeky aside about how Peggy could be even more unlucky and be forced to wear a crazy costume on a USO tour. I love these little self-aware lines to alternate realities. Yeah, a little nod and a wink. little nod and a wink. It reminds me when I read uh, that uh, Superman comic, Red Sun, and it was full of that, where he lands in the USSR instead of the USA, and there's constantly lines like, hmm, that Lois Lane is nice. Maybe in another timeline or, or world we would have been closer. And it's like... Yeah, that was, that, I'll be honest, that's one of my least favourite things about that. I mean, that's just really... Yeah, it was... It's really kind of hackneyed in that. Really? Um, I mean, it's, don't get me wrong, it's worth, worth reading, but there were moments like that. I thought it was good, and I liked it, and that's what's important. <laughs> I think what comes across to me about in, in this, just reading, you know, hearing you... Um, recount how kind of awful John Flynn is towards Peggy Carter. Yeah. There was kind of, I mean, it kind of leaves you this impression of the, the first Avenger movie of, you get like, how, um, oh, what's his name? The actor that plays the guy, Tommy Lee Jones. That's the um, guy. Tommy Lee Jones' character um, really was kind of like, complete, almost completely separate from the army. He was on his own. He was a real rebel. His assistant is, you know, a high-ranking female agent. And you kind of, you, you do, I think it really does give you the sense that under any other kind of general, Peggy Carter is not going to get used the way she is and promoted the way she is. And, and um, Steve Rogers is not going to get used and chosen as the subject. It was, it kind of, mm. um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't quite know how it achieved that, but it really made me think, oh yeah, that character was kind of like um, an outlier in the, in the MCU. It really made... I would have loved to have seen him pop up, but with someone else doing an impression of Tommy Lee Jones. Would you? Well, well, Josh Brolin did a great one in Men in Black 3. <laughs> okay, I'm back to the story then. <laughs> Sorry, should I have laughed more at that? No, it was, well, I laughed differently. Don't... <laughs> 
We'll edit that one in. We'll okay, that's fine. Yeah. yeah, we're definitely editing this show. <laughs> Discussing Hydra acquiring the Tesseract, John Flynn refuses to send anyone to stop Schmidt. Talking to Peggy at a bar, Howard Stark presents her the costume the super soldier was going to wear on the USO tour, modified for her, as well as a shield made entirely of vibranium. Later, Agent Carter, in her new uniform, uses her shield to single-handedly take down a Hydra convoy and retrieve the Tesseract, as well as capturing Hydra scientist Arnim Zola. Seeing Peggy gleefully beat up a load of Nazis was perfect in this scene, especially her taking down that one tough guy after he made those sexist comments. It was just like... I'm, I'm loving this. This is glee. Yeah, they, they, they build up, they build this kind of tension and frustration of Flynn being awful and kind of saying, I wanted a soldier, I got a girl, and like, girls can't be girls. There's a line, literally, girls can't be soldiers and stuff like that. Yeah. And they build that tension up and that frustration, and you're like, I really want to see her punch some men. And then you get to see it, and it's great. And you go, yeah, right in the face. Right in the face. It was fantastic. So does Peggy Carter ever become Captain Carter in the comic books? Or was this entirely created for this? It's not entirely created for this. It's a very strange road to get there because Captain Carter is originally a video game character. What? Uh, I I didn't know this. Yeah. In 2016, to celebrate the 75th anniversary of Captain America, Marvel's uh, various different online mobile games and stuff, (laughs) they all celebrated by each of them creating their own original take on Captain America. Um, And a game called Marvel Puzzle Quest... Uh, which is a mobile game, I think, took the MCU version of Peggy Carter, not the comic book version of the character, and adapted her to create the prototype of Captain Carter. Um, kind of roughly the same origin and, and, and backstory. Steve Rogers, although Steve Rogers is killed in this, I think, um, and uh, Peggy takes his place, and she wears um, a, a costume with the American flag, you know, the, the, the Captain America costume, basically, mm. and uh, is given the name Captain America. Uh, not Captain Carter. And this character, it, it proved to be so popular um, with the, the video game players that Marvel Comics sat up, took notice, and ended up including her in a comic book series. Um, in 2018, Peggy Carter, Captain America, appears as a character in a Marvel series called Exiles. Um, now, you've, we've not talked about Exiles before. Nope. So Exiles is a super fun Marvel comic book series that is really based on old TV shows like Quantum Leap and Sliders. It's about a bunch of Marvel characters, predominantly X-Men characters, that there's a team of them and they jump around from different reality to different reality, um, putting right what once went wrong and kind of helping that world out and stuff like that. Hugely fun, um, different timelines. They revisit, you know, classic well thought of fan favorite Marvel timelines like the Age of Apocalypse timeline um, and uh, and things like that, the House of M, different kind of fan favorite worlds from the What If comics as well. So there's a story uh, in 2018 there where the Exiles meet the Captain America version of of Peggy Carter. Uh, like a true Brit, she moans at having to wear the American flag and being called <laughs> Captain America and stuff. And so that that that's kind of the inspiration for this for this series. Um, and since then, uh, Marvel of you know, since the character was really popular in this series, um, and I don't want to spoil anything that's come out, she crops up in another movie. Mm. Um, then they've 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 uh, carried on and and created a special comic series of the character in a, in a completely different universe, and started crossing over with the, the Avengers and stuff in uh, the Avengers Forever series. It's currently currently being published. So yeah. 
Fantastic. After presenting a very surprised Flynn with the Tesseract, Agent Carter is promoted to Captain, while Stark takes the Tesseract for an experiment. In his lab, Stark works on a large machine while asking a nearby Steve Rogers, Ready to join the war effort, Steve? Rogers tells Peggy about his friend Bucky Barnes, who is captured behind enemy lines by Hydra. While she agrees to save him, she tells Steve that he owes her a dance. In Germany, Captain Carter steals a Nazi motorcycle and bursts through the gates of a POW camp. Dodging gunfire and taking out the guards, she rescues Bucky Barnes, as well as the howling commandos. Fighting their way out, the team are surrounded by a group of panzer tanks and are forced to call for air support. The next second, instead of a fleet of planes, they are saved by Steve Rogers jetting to battle in a flying Tesseract-powered mechanised suit, the Hydra Stomper. Steve takes out the tanks with the help of Peggy, much to the amazement of Bucky and the Howling Commandos. I loved, uh, there were so many great bits in this script for me. That, that really took me by surprise by how funny they were. But then their reaction to seeing that, they just go, huh, a dame and a flying Buick. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's packed with, I mean, again, it, it does feel like it's got the same high quality dialogue as a, an MCU movie. Yeah, it's, it's just, I mean, if you haven't watched it yet, do, it's, it's really good. So Steve Rogers as a dub, uh, World War II Iron Man. Very, very good. Again, that's, uh, that's not, that's deco punk, I think. Anyway, does this ever happen in the Marvel comics? Yes, it's a part of that bullet point series that we talked about a few minutes ago. Um, so when Erksine is assassinated in that reality, the uh, US government does away with um, what's called Project Rebirth, which is the mm-hmm. Captain America project, and activates Project Iron Man, which is a... Nothing to do with the Starks at all. Not connected to Tony Stark. Hasn't been born yet. Um, the government asks Steve Rogers to participate in it. You said you were already going to be Captain America. Um, we're going to fold you over into this other new um, project. And he accepts. And he is permanently bonded to this uh, Deco Punk. I'll, I'll, I'll go with you. Yes, um, I win. Deco Punk armor, um, which doesn't look... Doesn't look... I mean, it's not, it's not as big as the Hydra Stomper, but mm. it is... This huge mechanized, the Hydra Stomper kind of has an Iron Giant feel to it to me, mm. um, but he's in this. It it looks more more um, rudimentary than the uh, the very first Iron Man armor that you see in that cave um, at the start. But he's um, he's he's locked into this, and he he becomes Iron Man. He um, helps win the Second World War and becomes an essential part of military tactics. Doctor Reed Richards um, is his kind of tech assistant guy. Um, and after a young, he goes into retirement, but is brought out of retirement when young Peter Parker goes on his rampage as the Hulk. <laughs> um, and uh, Steve Rogers, who remembers the death of young Benjamin Parker, wants to help Benjamin Parker's nephew and puts on the Iron Man armor again to try and capture Peter. Um, and it goes terribly. And Peter Parker, Iron Man, murders Steve Rogers. They're all fun. They're all fun <laughs> parallel universes where fun stuff happens. Uh, yeah. Right. And that's, that's what happens when uh, Steve Rogers becomes World War II Iron Man. Fantastic. Over the next few weeks, Peggy and Steve go on a variety of missions, taking out the Hydra menace across Europe, working together. At the Hydra base, a Nazi officer chastises John Schmidt uh, for his failure to keep the Tesseract and informs him that the Fuhrer demands his presence in Berlin. But Schmidt shoots the officer before peeling off his face mask to reveal himself as the Red Skull. 
Standing over the dying officer, Red Skull tells his former colleague that the Third Reich will fall and Hydra will rise from its ashes to an obedient salute from his men. Uh, I love the little jazz montage we got. <laughs> we yeah. have this little montage of them basically doing all their missions to, to, to hot jazz music, and it just worked. I mean, as much as I enjoyed Captain America, the first Avenger, this montage made me want to see this film as well, if, if this was a proper full-length film. I, it, yes. Upon re-watching this, I realised how lazy the Hydra salute is. Um, it's that. No, it's that, isn't it? It's that. Oh, it's that? Yeah, it's that. They just took the Nazi salute and just did... Oh, we'll do two of them. Let's just sit there. You go. <laughs> two of them. I can't be bothered. I'm not going to spend ages workshopping this. I always thought it was that. Where have I been? Where have what, I been? That? No, that, that's the Hydra salute. That's the Hydra salute. Yeah. Okay. Should, yeah. That's, that's not problematic. That's fine. No, it's no, that's fine. fine. We're all good. We're twice as bad as the Nazis. We do <laughs> two salutes. Lazy, lazy Hydra. Does the uh, Red Skull feature in any of the What If comics? Yeah, quite a lot of the Captain America ones. Um, there's a great two-part that I read as a kid, a great what-if two-part story. Um, it was called What If Captain America Were Not the Only Super Soldier in World War II? Um, in this reality, uh, Erksine kind of doesn't get killed, lives on, runs the proper super soldier program, and starts creating an entire platoon of super soldiers. So Steve Rogers joins um, Nick Fury and all the Howling Commandos as super soldiers. Um, and with a whole platoon of them, the war is over within a year. Uh, Cap kind of personally captures Hitler and um, arrests him to stand trial and stuff. But on their voyage back to America, a U-boat sinks the ship and all of the super soldiers and all the people on board drown. And Steve Rogers is the only survivor as all hands are lost. So Cap returns to the America as this tragic hero. He basically won the war, but then lost all his powerful friends and everything. He's made the head of S.H.I.E.L.D., exposes his identity to the world, mm -hmm. runs for president, and wins on a landslide. <laughs> Serves multiple terms as President Steve Rogers. And then Cap, as president, starts distributing the super soldier serum to the general public, what? creating the best and brightest American citizens. Although Cap's administration says that because of a genetic quirk, the super soldier serum only works on white people. <laughs> So Cap presides over a new segregation of the masses. Protesters are arrested by super soldier police force, thrown into internment camps. President Rogers uses the super soldiers to suppress any attempts to create other superhumans. The Fantastic Four's rocket ship is shot out of the sky before they can uh, go up into space and get cosmic rays and become superheroes. Um, uh, Bruce Banner's locked in prison and doesn't create the Hulk and things. And then the body of the real captain america is found frozen in ice in the ocean and the president of the united states is revealed to actually be the red skull who pulled off a masterful switch oh. back in the 1940s one of the best what if stories i read as a kid it was wonderful that whole thing about the super soldier serum only works on white people was delivered so hauntingly but like we're, we're working to fix it we're working to fix it anytime now we'll fix it um and you just as even as a kid you went i don't believe you great wow good old red school <laughs> i was thinking then for a second oh this is the what if where captain america is just a big fascist no 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 for, you had me there you had me there Bonding over some drinks, which have no effect on her, Peggy tells Steve how much of her life has changed, how much her life changed uh, since taking the serum. As Steve puts himself down as just some skinny guy in a big metal suit, 
Peggy blurts out her feelings for Rogers, and the two lean into a kiss before being interrupted by Stark and Barnes. Later, Captain Carter is joined by Steve Rogers, Bucky Barnes, and Howling Commandos as they sneak onto a Hydra train. But when Rogers enters one of the carriages, he is blown up by a bomb placed inside. The rest of the team jump off the back of the train just in time, but the train, along with Steve, plummets into the ravine below. After a depressing de- debrief on the failed mission, Peggy <clears throat> interrogates Arnim Zola. What does that mean? Why did you cough and then say interrogates? Uh, it, it, it was a nice little edit where they go, I'll have a word with him, and it's like a second later, yes, he confessed everything. <laughs> ah, she tortured him. Tortured him. It's yeah. fine, you're not on trial here. I know there's a microphone in your face, but you can say Peggy Carter tortured Armin Zola. He's a Nazi. You can't really torture a Nazi. They don't have rights. It's fine. <laughs> True. And gets all the information on Hydra's mission and assembles a team to infiltrate Schmidt's headquarters. I thought what was interesting there is from Mr. Hollywood's section earlier, mm. talked about how one of the original concepts was that Steve Rogers gets blown out of the train on the ravine and ends up becoming the Winter Soldier. Mm. And they kind of kept that in. He does get mm. blown up and captured here. Yeah. Also, even though they're essentially cramming an entire film into 30 minutes, like they spent enough time on the important emotional bits like this as well. I think they've really figured the key bits into if they were to turn this into a film and go let's put this into 30 minutes we can do it yeah I think like, like, like we sort of said earlier they, they, they could have just done all the high concept bits and then the show would have been over but yeah. they really made they took the time to put the emotional beats in I loved it also they, they called it Operation Where Eagles Dare I spotted that reference to the film man that movie I re-watched it a couple of years ago it is one of the for action stunts mm. it's one of the best it's just such a great film it's such a good film oh it's, it's, it's good apart from the fact that they're not putting German accents on when they're disguised as German oh who cares and one of <laughs> one of the characters is called uh, Johann Schmidt in it as well just FYI um, I did not know that yeah one of the the fake German um, well, I know there's lots of fake Germans in it I just can't think who it is now anyway I'll continue yeah under the cover of darkness, Captain Carter vaults the wall of Schmidt's castle, fighting the guards on the other side, before letting Bucky and the Howling Commandos, along, along with Howard Stark, through. Inside his lab, intending for Hydra to continue in Nazi Germany's place after its collapse, Red Skull uses his machinery to activate the Tesseract, opening a portal. Within seconds, gargantuan tentacles begin emerging from the portal, Bursting into the lab, Peggy and Stark are shocked to see one of the tentacles lift up Red Skull and crush him to death. Yay! Yay, Nazi Kill guy. the Nazis. Nazi. Mm. Uh, so tentacles emerging from a Nazi portal. Uh, Nazis, HP Lovecraft, you know, there's a link there somewhere. Oh, yeah, no, he was uh, white supremacist, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah. I don't make the rules. Um, in the Marvel comics, though, had the Red Skull ever had access to the Tesseract like this? Yes, and it's horrifying. Um, so in the comic books, the Tesseract is known as the Cosmic Cube. It's not connected to the Infinity Gauntlet. It's not one of the Infinity Stones or Gems. It's a completely separate um, artifact of power created by AIM, and it has reality warping powers. It is on par in terms of what it can do to reality as the Infinity Gauntlet. The Cosmic Cube was invented first and is the, the first of that kind of thing. It's, it's really uh, a dangerous, full-on kind of um, artifact in the Marvel Universe. And the Red Skull's been kind of obsessed with it and tied to it for most of his kind of existence as a character. Um, 
in the 90s, he somehow, through a convoluted means, is able to... He was trapped inside the cube, and then he's out, and he's kind of internalized the power of the cosmic cube. So the Red Skull, this horrific, horrific Nazi dude, has the ability to warp reality. It's written by Mark Wade in the Captain America series in the 90s. And what it really shows is that earlier in that decade, we had the Infinity Gauntlet story, and we saw what happens when Thanos has the Infinity Gauntlet and wants to get to his objective of murdering half the universe. Um, And Thanos is clinical with it. Mm. He snaps his fingers, and half the universe of life is gone. And Mark Wade shows us in this story that, like, what a Nazi would do, what the Red Skull would do with infinite power is a lot more... Because he enjoys the the, the suffering and the pain to put people through. So we see... He um, summons these dragons that burn Washington to the ground. Um, and we see, we don't quite know, but Nazis riding dragons through cities, um, enslaving people and burning people kind of at their whim. Um, he cap watches as on the steps of Capitol Hill, um, the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, all his friends are crucified and, and left to die. Um, he... Red Skull warps Sharon Carter's mind until she hates Captain America and starts to try to kill him multiple times again and again. Um, he, uh, he, he, the Skull wants to rule over the strong, not the weak. So he increases the temperature in New York to 160 degrees. It kills all food. And eventually he has the starving, dying populace of New York fighting each other to get the last morsel of food which is a single apple that he holds um and they stampede over each other and finally um when the the people in front of him are a starving mother and child the red skull eats the apple in front of them as they scream um in mississippi the red skull creates massive floods and watch as the, the the people fight over the last bit of dry land, which is the the top of this church, and then he transforms the the flooding water into acid. Um, mm. He freezes Los Angeles to see how many freezing people can fit inside a phone booth as the only bit of shelter left. And as he kind of does this horrific kind of thing to America, he says, "Show me who among you deserves to live, you animals." Um, and that's kind of the difference between Thanos with infinite power and the Red Skull with infinite power. Uh, one is a kind of clinical in his mad approach to death, and the other um, wants to make people suffer. Awful man. Yeah, no. I, yeah, I think we've been pretty... Uh, just in case you haven't been clear about this, this <laughs> podcast is not in favour of Nazis. I don't care for him. No. Else- bad dude. Yeah, very bad dude. Elsewhere in the castle, the commandos find the Hydra Stomper armor, along with a very alive Steve Rogers tied up in chains. Bucky unchains Rogers, but instead of being freed, Rogers demands to be put back in the suit. Without the Tesseract, there's a very limited amount of power, though. Jetting through the ceiling, Rogers searches for Peggy in the castle. In the lab, more and more tentacles emerge from the portal with enough to take over Europe soon. Noticing the control panel for the portal, Stark and Peggy come up with a way to close it down. While Stark figures out the German German control panel, Peggy grabs a sword and fights the tentacles single-handedly. 
As the tentacles drag Peggy towards the portal, Steve rockets through the floor and frees Peggy before the howling commandos enter and begin firing at the monster, which unleashes an unbearable shriek. Thinking quickly, Steve rockets the howling commandos out of the castle using his suit. Stark then tells Peggy that he's unable to close the portal. With no other choice left, Peggy attempts to push the monster back through. Steve jets in to help, but the suit runs out of power and becomes immobile. Steve watches helplessly as his love battles the monster and disappears through the portal as it shuts down, exploding the lab equipment, leaving only the Tesseract. Again, so much emotional weight in this story that they've managed to put in. Marvel's got to break your heart. I, I, got, I got some friends that... Uh, a friend who has heard there's quite a heart-pulling moment or two in the latest Spider-Man movie and so won't watch it. And I said, well, you know, you can't be a Spider-Man fan if you aren't ready for your heart to be repeatedly broken. Um, And a friend of mine's little little kids saw some of the movies and said, I didn't like it because it was sad. Marvel breaks your heart. I mean, it just just has to. Um, And that's how you enjoy the moments where things go well and people succeed and triumph. Um, yeah, emotional emotional damage has to be done. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So we've got a British hero replacing Captain America. Are there any British superheroes in Marvel Comics? Uh, that, oh, yes, we'll talk about the very first one. Uh, it's a character called Union Jack. Very cool. <laughs> Sounds a little odd. A very cool um, <laughs> costume design. Um, Union Jack introduced in the 1970s in a comic book called The Invaders. Um, the Invaders despite uh, being written in the 70s, was about uh, adventures taking place in the 1940s. It's about all the superheroes that helped Captain America and Bucky fight the Second World War. Um, And the invaders discover uh, an old retired hero called James Montgomery Falsworth, uh, a retired country squire in England, who fought during World War I as Union Jack, a government operative and an adventurer. Uh, No superpowers to speak of, uh, just a knife. Um, and he uh, he joins the invaders to to fight the Second World War. The team base their their headquarters out of his mansion, his country estate in England. Um, but Union Jack then gets his legs crushed by a vampire. We've all been there. What? Um, and then the vampire bites his daughter Jacqueline, who naturally goes to get a blood transfusion from a robot called the Human Torch. Not that one, a different one. That's a robot. I, I have to. Stop and then there. Jacqueline gains a super speed powers from the combination of robot blood and vampire blood. Yes, Will, you had a question. I, I did. A question about? No, no, no. It's just that when you said he's got his legs crushed by a van, I thought yeah. you'd say, less crushed by a van. And then you said vampire, and I don't know which is better. No, that's how the vampire crushed her legs. He got his van, he <laughs> ran her over. They um, call him the vampire. So uh, the, 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 da- the, the daughter Jacqueline uh, gains super speed powers uh, and joins the invaders as a British hero called Spitfire. That's 1976. Um, early in yeah, around 76. And then the most prominent um, British superhero is Captain Britain, who is kind of introduced in uh, 70, no, 1976 as well mm. um, in Captain Britain Weekly. Um, which was an exclusive Marvel Comics publication for the UK. Um, they had their own separate branch at the time called Marvel UK. Um, mm. And uh, so it wasn't published in America. Americans never saw this character until much later on. Created by Chris Claremont of X-Men fame and, and uh, Herb Trimpey. Um, and this is a, a character who, um, 
he's got a convoluted. Uh, so he's rich family. Is also a research scientist. Uh, terrorists try and destroy the research facility, and this guy Brian Braddock runs off to get help. Crashes a motorbike in. Um, uh, what are they called? The, the Standing Stones in this country, very famous. Uh, Stonehenge. 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 Crashes his bike right near Stonehenge. And then um, Merlin appears to him um, and gives him the choice between the Amulet of Right or the Sword of Might. Uh, Brian Braddock chooses the, um, the Amulet of Right and is transformed into Captain Britain. Um, and has many adventures as a superhero, crosses over and meets Spider-Man and the American heroes and stuff. Um, in the 1980s, a legendary British writer called Alan Moore would take over Captain Britain stories and kind of first start to make his name with superheroes. Um, and this is where we're first introduced to the concept of the Marvel multiverse for the very first time. Um, Alan Moore introduced a, a whole bunch of really amazing sci-fi concept in his, in his Captain Britain series. I highly recommend you check it out. Um, and Captain Britain travels to a, a very dark parallel world where a tyrannical prime minister has taken over the, the UK and kind of turned all government forces against anyone with powers, anyone that looks different, anyone that might be a mutant or a, a, a witch or a wizard or anything like that. Um, and um, we also meet a terrifying creature called the Fury, which is like the Terminator before the Terminator. Um, it's an unthinking, uh, unstoppable uh, robotic force that mur its only job is to murder superhumans. And it can survive the end of a universe. <laughs> and it will just simply travel on to the next one and start murdering superhumans all over again. Um, genuinely creeped me out and worried me as a kid when I read it in the 80s. Um, and it's later revealed in the same series that Brian Braddock, Captain Britain, is only one of a much larger interdimensional army of mystical protectors called the Captain Britain Corps. Um, created by Merlin, every Earth in the Marvel Comics multiverse has its own Captain Britain who is expected to defend that version of Britain, uphold all its kind of local laws and all that kind of stuff, and, and together they collectively look after the entire multiverse. This is the... Um, the series that first introduces the idea of our main Marvel Universe being called the 616 Universe, or Earth. And that's a, a designation that's kind of carried on to this day, and it's how everyone copied it ever since then. Um, so the, the story with Captain Britain creates the Marvel Multiverse, gives us the terms Earth 616, and um, differentiates us. And it, and it also kind of introduces the idea of... Um, it's the first use of, an, of a much copied idea, the Council of idea. Um, whereby a large group of different versions of the same character would come together and form some sort of parliament, you know, a parliament of yourself. Um, the Council of Kangs would be uh, would come about several years later in the Avengers comics, and uh, not to give any spoilers, but we've started to see that in some of the Marvel movies recently. There'd also be a Council of Reed Richards several decades later in the, in the Fantastic Four. And then we'd see that idea repeated in Rick and Morty with their kind of Council of Ricks. So, yeah, that idea, along with the Marvel Multiverse, all started with Captain Britain in the early 80s. Wow. In another lab elsewhere, a Tesseract portal opens with chopped-up tentacles flying out, followed by Captain Carter wielding a sword, landing in front of Nick Fury and Clint Barton. Peggy asks where Steve Rogers is, but Fury tells Peggy that the war ended 70 years ago. When asked if she's okay, a heartbroken and confused Peggy answers, of course, 
we won the war. I thought that was a really deft way of repeating the Captain America gets frozen in time yeah. aspect without doing the same thing of frozen in eyes. And, you know, she went into a portal and as anyone who's read any science fiction will know time moves differently in other worlds we've heard that you know yeah. dozens and dozens of times um whether it's peter pan or or whatever um and so when she comes back out of this portal huge amounts of time has passed on this earth and so we get a character that has been frozen in time no time has passed with peggy carter but steve rogers has obviously moved on and all that and she's a she's a woman out of time i thought that was a really deft way of of doing that in a in a very different more kind of i guess fantasy aspect rather than yeah. sci-fi yeah very very cool really love that um and that brings to a close this episode um of of what if will i'd love to know your favorite piece yeah. of trivia from uh this episode that you've learned today well what have we got we being got our muggle well for, for what have we got that i liked uh the captain uh, Carter video game origins obviously that's a game I wouldn't have played puzzle quest puzzle quest on a mobile phone no thanks <laughs> sounds be- like homework to me sounds weird uh, that was good Peter Parker becomes the Hulk Bruce Banner becomes Spider-Man that was good um, <laughs> Union Jack and Captain Britain that was good but I think my favourite piece was Red Skull destroys America very dark yeah. eating an apple in front of a starving child is just boo hiss yeah um and then, Will, I guess uh, we'd love to hear your final thoughts as we turn to you for a summation on the, uh, the movie or the, the TV side of things rather than the comic side of things. Your final thoughts on the first episode of What If and, and Captain Carter. Well, what can I say? It's a perfect start to the series. Uh, the series itself feels so different to the other MCU shows. Like While the other shows feel like a continuation of the MCU, this feels like a nice animated detour with no current repercussions in the mcu it's fun it's tense it's emotionally charged in places it does everything it should do it's amazing how much you can cram a movie like that into just 30 minutes just 30 minutes it's on par with most of the feature films uh, feature length films i would love to have seen a full version of this uh, in fact you know just bring back just bring captain carter into the mcu at some point uh, but don't replace sam wilson uh, going back to it this you know, going back to rewatch this episode, I think this might be my favourite episode of What If, and I can't wait for Captain Carter to appear again in season two. I think you're right in terms of the length as well. Anytime uh, someone makes a movie and it somehow has to be, you know, two and a half, three hours long, uh, they're just just stupid. You can do a movie length, you can do a movie quality thing that's thirty minutes long. Let me let me go to bed. <laughs> Stop making things that are so long. Um, thank you, Will, for ably carrying us through. Uh, that episode um uh, a reading list if you're interested in giving some of these kind of interesting ideas and, and concepts uh, a, a look in terms of comic books i highly recommend alan moore uh his captain britain series um as getting the first look at um the marvel multiverse um there are a couple of what if collections that are available but they seem to all be collecting the first volume of stories from the 1970s, which I don't think are that great. Um, my favourites are all from the second volume that all feature much more exciting and interesting kind of stories and characters and stuff. My best advice is to just go hunting for single issues of What If on like eBay and if you've got a comic book shop near you, go rifle through and look for them. That was my main thing. When I was a kid, I would go to the comic book shop in Stoke-on-Trent um, for uh, Fantasy World um, before Forbidden Planet was there. And you'd have a small amount of money 
And you could always get with a What If comic a beginning, a middle, and an end. So you'd get a full story. It felt like I was getting more of my money's worth. And I'd just sit and rifle through the, um, the back issue bins and pick out a couple of single issues and spend my pocket money on that. Um, we talked about Bullet Points, which is that world where Steve Rogers becomes Iron Man and uh, Spider-Man, Spider-Man becomes a Hulk, Hulk becomes Spider-Man. That's Bullet Points by J. Michael Stradinsky and Tommy Lee Edwards. I recommend checking that out. It's a fun, it's a fun if dark read. And for a fun read that's just fun, Exiles by Judd Winnick um, and various different writers, uh, sorry, artists. Uh, Exiles is a team of X-Men from parallel worlds that jump from timeline to timeline. Um, It's a real fun, it's not really connected to the modern um, goings-on in the modern Marvel continuity. So they have a lot of fun and a lot of freedom um, with that. those are my recommendations. That has been Marvel versus Marvel, taking you behind the scenes, taking you behind the page, and diving in to the history and trivia of Marvel Comics over the last 60, 70, 80 odd years. Um, thank you very much for attending. And I believe we're going to be played out now by our theme song, He Says to the Heavens. <laughs> because we don't know who and when's this. He might go for a fag break. Who knows? Uh, I'm going to keep vamping. Until the music plays. We thank you all for coming here. <laughs> to the Arena Theatre in Wolverhampton. Especially those of you who don't like Marvel and stuck it out for like, the whole thing. And those of you who have never listened to our podcast before. And decided to spend the afternoon with me and Will. Won't, you won't have to do this ever again. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. And, you. and good night. <laughs> Thank you.